So if you're uh, driving down the street and you're in your car and you look out your window and there's oil coming out of your engine, there's a lot of oil, what you don't do is just keep driving and shrug it off and say, oh, it's okay, it's going to fix itself. You would probably drive straight to the mechanic because it's concerning. You see something coming out that it's concerning to your side. You go straight to the mechanic. You don't shrug it off. It's something external that shows that there's something deeply wrong inside your engine. There's an external symptom or, or evidence that points to a, a serious and great problem inside. You see, grumbling is the same way. Grumbling is, is an external symptom and evidence that points to a, a deep and serious problem inside. We're going to see that today in, in our text it's Exodus 15:22 through 17:7. The, the main point of this text, if you're a note taker, the, the, the big idea here is that grumbling reveals a heart of unbelief and a trajectory toward destruction. Grumbling reveals a heart of unbelief and a trajectory toward destruction. We'll be looking at five things about grumbling. We'll look at the roots the dangers, excuse me, the nature, the root, and the dangers of grumbling. And the last two are the hope for grumblers and the medicine for grumblers. Again, the first three are the nature, the roots, and the dangers will follow with the hope for grumblers and, and the medicine for a grumbler. In case you're visiting this week or you've missed us for the last couple weeks, we have been going through the book of Exodus. Uh, Bill and Ben have been Preaching through Exodus, we've seen that God has raised up His servant Moses to go rescue His people from Egypt. He has delivered them out of their slavery. They've crossed through the, the Red Sea. The Lord has miraculously and powerfully opened the Red Sea. They've crossed on dry land, and then He closed it on the Egyptians. He's delivered them powerfully. And last week, we saw that they, after this great victory, sang to the Lord, and our sermon was about singing to the Lord for your victory past and victory future. And here they are. They just sang a song of victory and celebration. The Lord is great. He's powerful. He's delivered us. And onward we go to the promised land. And that's where we pick up. That's where we pick up. So Exodus 15:22 through 17:7. What I'm going to do is read this whole text. It's, it's a bit long, longer. Um, please follow along with me. Um, the only places I'm going to stop are the, are the scene breaks. This text is made up into three major scenes, scene one, two, and three. The first one being the, uh, the people of Israel in Marah. Scene two, they are in the wilderness of Sin. It's not Sin like, like we think of it. It's, it's just the name of the wilderness. It's the wilderness of Sin. And scene three, the setting is in, in Rephidim. So there's three major scenes. I'm going to read the whole thing now, and then through the sermon, we're going to Look at all three simultaneously and look at each scene, what, what they teach us at the same time. So I'll go ahead and read 15.22 through 17.7. You can go ahead and follow along with your Bible. It reads, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. 
and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will not put none, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on, on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So that's the end of scene one. This is one, one scene that just took place, starting on scene two here. They set out again. 16.1, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the, to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remember, excuse me, remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed white. and The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is a tenth part of an ephah. I close the scene too. It's a long scene, but now they are in the wilderness of sin. That closes that scene out. <clears throat> They're moving elsewhere. They, they go from there, start scene three, just seven verses in chapter 17, 17 one. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and, and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? We have three scenes, starting with point number one, the nature of grumbling. <clears throat> the nature of grumbling. Let's look at scene one together. We're going to be looking at the first couple of verses, 15, 22 through 24. The nature of grumbling, the first thing we're going to see about it is when we do it. When do we grumble? When do they, when do they grumble? And we can learn from them. When do people generally grumble? 15, 22 through 24. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, or Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And here it is. And the people grumbled against Moses, what shall we drink? Saying, what shall we drink? So you see, in the first scene, they were thirsty. They grumbled because they were thirsty. They wanted water and there was none to drink. They had a desire that was not being met. 
their circumstance was different than that that they wish it was. They were thirsty. Jump to the second scene, chapter 16, verse 2. We'll see, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You see, they're, they're hungry. Again, it's, it's not a bad thing, but they want food and they have none, or they don't have the food that they want. They don't have the meat pots and, and bread to the full as they remember it. They have this desire that's going unmet. Their circumstance is different than that which they wish it was. And we see it one more time in, in, ch- in chapter 17, verse 3. This is the third scene. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. Again, they were thirsty. They had a desire that was unmet, a difficult circumstance that they wished they weren't in. We grumble when circumstances are not what we desire. When, when we have wants and desires that are unmet, or we're in a situation of life that we wish was different, that's typically the setting that, that fosters grumbling. But there are very important insights that we have to take out of these three examples. Number one is that they did not desire anything bad or inherently sinful. They desired something good. In the first scene, they were thirsty. They wanted water. In the second scene, they they were hungry. They wanted food. In the third, they wanted water again. But if you look at the text, it still calls it grumbling. It doesn't say it was, it was just an innocent desire. They still grumbled, even though what they desired was a good thing. And grumbling, what we take out from this that's, that's sobering and shocking is that grumbling is not justified because our unmet desire is of a good thing. We can desire something good, but just because it's good doesn't mean we don't grumble when we desire it. They were made to need these things. They were made to need food and water. And God knew that. He made them. He knows that they need this. And and, and it forces us to to look at our own lives and and ask ourselves, what what unmet desires do do we have? What good things do do we desire that are unmet? And what what is it in your life? Is it it financial security? Is Is it the perfect home in the perfect neighborhood? Is it good health? These are all good things. What about the really spiritual things that, that there's no possible way we could grumble about that? Or so we think. What about the killing of a specific sin in your life that you've been struggling with for a long time? Or the salvation of a loved one? Those are all good things. Praise the Lord for those desires. They are good desires. But if we hold on to them so tightly that if they go unmet, we are ready to say, how dare you, God, not give this to me? That is equally as grumbling. The the goodness of the desire does not justify the way that we hold it. The second insight that that we see from the examples of of the Israelites, we look at their circumstances. What were they going through? 
the circumstances they were in were actually really difficult. They were actually really hard. If you go back to 1522, the beginning, the second half of the verses, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. In the, it's probably desert land. And no water. They were actually very thirsty. It wasn't just a, a, a psychological or temperamental thing. Physically, it was hard. It was a difficult circumstance. And even on top of that, when they do find water, they can't even drink it. What a disappointment. That is a punch to the gut. That is disappointing. It was a difficult thing to live through. And yet the text still says they, they grumbled. It's still sinful to grumble. See, the, how difficult a, a circumstance is does not justify us grumbling against the Lord. And again, the same question. We're forced to look at our own lives and say, what am I living through that's difficult that I'm, I'm tempted to, to just grumble against the Lord about? What would it be for you? Is, is, it, a, is it a child that, that you think, that you wish was different? Or, or is it a parent that is, that is hard on you? Or is it a friendship that, that is just difficult? Is, is it a marriage that you come home to? Is it a, a life stage that you wish you weren't in? Is it an unbearable job that you hate walking into in the morning? Or, or a class that you're tempted to, to skip each time you, it comes around? Or is it just the, the busyness of life and how tired you always feel? All these things can be legitimately hard. The Lord does not negate the difficulty of your circumstance. But no matter how difficult it is, He makes no allowances for grumbling. It is sin regardless of the circumstance we're in. So to recap those two points, how good an unmet desire is, or how difficult our circumstances, those are not valid reasons to justify grumbling. The second part of, of the nature of grumbling, we've seen, we've seen when can it happen. The se- point B is, is, what can it look like? What can it sound like? What, is, what can it be expressed as? We'll, we'll jump through 1, 2, and 3 again. Scenes 1, 2, and 3. So 15, 24. Chapter 15, verse 24 says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And it has a question mark at the end of that. What shall we drink? From the outside, if we took this outside of context... It might sound like an innocent question. What shall we drink? And yet, and yet the word tells us that through it, they were grumbling against the Lord. Or grumbling can take a form of a question. In scene number 2, chapter 16, verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. They're just expressing a desire. It's just longing that, that they have, that they, that they express. That's innocent, right? That's, no, that's, that's not a bad thing. And yet the Lord tells us in His Word that through that desire, through expressing that, they were, they were grumbling. Our grumbling can also take the form of a, of a longing and a desire. Even the second half of that verse for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's an accusation. Our grumbling can, can take the form of an accusation, whether, whether it be towards someone else, 
or, or even ourselves, our grumbling can, can be an accusation. And in 17, verse 2, chapter 17, 2, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. There's a demand. Grumbling can be a demand. And if you think of their, their situation, they might be exasperated. They might be annoyed, tired, hungry, thirsty. Moses, we're not having this today. Give us water to drink. It's a demand against Moses. And it's grumbling. So before you, you might think to yourself, okay, I get it. But then what, what can I say and what can I desire? Is everything I do say and desire grumbling? Well, no. What is not grumbling? I have desires in my life that are unmet. I'm sure you do too. And they can be good desires. But you see, grumbling is not defined by the desires that we voice, but the heart that's behind them. And who we direct those desires to. Again, grumbling is not defined by the desires that we voice. They can be a, a good desire. They're not defined by the desire. They're defined by the heart that's behind them and who we direct that desire to. The people of Israel, instead of going to God, God, Lord, you are faithful. We depend on you. We are thirsty. Please give us water. Moses, you're killing us out here. Moses, provide. They, they misdirected their desire. And they held it with a, with a heart of grumbling. And we see that grumbling can have different sounds and looks and shapes, but it always comes from the same place. It's always the voice of protest against God's kind providence. It's the voice of, of protest against the way that God sovereignly and perfectly and wisely and kindly ordains things in our lives for our good. And we protest that. You say, why? No. No. I think otherwise. And that's the heart behind grumbling. So that's what, that's what the heart looks like behind grumbling, but there's more to it. Leads us to point number two is the root of grumbling. We see there's discontentment, but what's in there? What's, what's the problem in there? The root of grumbling. We read earlier in the service from Hebrews chapter 3. I'll read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It's talking about the generation of, of, of Israelites that we're looking at. For those who... For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell into wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see, here it is, here's the answer. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. The root of grumbling is a heart of unbelief. And now to be clear, this passage in Hebrews, it's referring specifically to an incident that happened later in that generation where God gave them a specific command and they distrusted him. But we see that evidenced unbelief. We see it in seed form, even in our text today. They're still distrusting God. They don't, they don't, they don't believe that he can do what he says. They don't trust his character. They don't trust his word. 
In this context of grumbling, they doubted God's power and faithfulness to, to care for them well. And keep in mind, this is even after having seen his, his great signs. This is right after they saw the Red Sea parted, and they saw the Egyptians all over the seashore. They saw his, his power to protect them and care for them. They still doubt him. And now, as, as, we, as we now see the, the heart behind grumbling, we think back to the things that they just said. That we just talked about the nature of grumbling and the way that it can sound. When they say, what shall we drink? There's a question mark at the end of that, but is that really a question? They're looking at, looking at Moses, what shall we drink? What are they saying? What are they saying behind that? God's not providing. We have nothing to drink. Or the second thing they said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. God does not know how to care for us. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's so hard. How can we trust him? Or the third thing, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. God put you in charge? How can I trust him? He doesn't know. He doesn't know what's best. The heart behind grumbling is a heart of unbelief. It is unbelief in, in, in God's wise and kind providence. Well, one more thing that we see from this is that signs are not the cure for grumbling. Often uh, nowadays, if, if we hear many times, if I would just see something, I would believe. And it's often pride in us nowadays that things were different than the Israelites. But we see that they saw much and still did not believe. We have His promises. We either trust them or we don't. They saw His signs and still did not believe. We actually get a zoom in in our text. We, we get, we get a, a zoom in at, at the Israelites' heart of unbelief. And we get a, a good chunk to, to see that together. So the, the, the second half of chapter 16, well, verse 4 and then verses 19 and 20. We see in verse 4 what the Lord's instruction was. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is within the second, the second scene there in the wilderness of sin. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Let's skip down to verses 19 and 20. What did the people actually do? And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over to the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it to the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. See, the, the Lord told them, Every day you will go out and gather. That implies every day there will be provision for you there. Depend on me on the daily. Trust me. I will be there. He wanted them to depend on him daily. He was going to prove his faithfulness and care for them. But they did not trust him. They didn't trust that tomorrow he would be there for me. So I need to ensure tomorrow today. I need to leave some of this for tomorrow because who knows if he's going to be there. They didn't trust God's faithfulness for tomorrow. And we look later down on the chapter, just a couple verses down, 22 through 30. It's going to talk about the Sabbath. On the sixth day, 
they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Again, the Lord gave them two things here. He gave them the Sabbath, and he gave them provision for the Sabbath. He gave them rest, and he gave them food. They didn't trust him in either. I found this really interesting when when, when God gives them the Sabbath and they still go out and gather, the Lord says, it was the Lord that gave you the Sabbath. And that's why I gave you food for two days on the sixth day. This rest is coming from me. Trust me in it. The rest is from me. Obey through resting on that day. And don't worry about the provision. I gave you provision. I'm faithful to provide. They did not trust him. They didn't trust that um, that the, the rest was from him. They distrusted the goodness and the rest and the sufficiency and the provision. And, and we, you probably heard it as we read it, a word that keeps coming up and a concept that, that we're forced to cover. The fact that God tests his people. When he gave the instruction to Moses, he said, tell them to gather each day to, to test them to see if, if they will walk in my law or not. God tests his people and that is not a bad or evil thing. We might be quick to think, what, why, why would he just put me to the test like that? That seems weird. But no, it's not, it's not. It's not a bad thing. And God's people test him too. That one is bad. That one is bad. They're, they're both testing. You notice right after his victory for them over Egypt, God's put, God puts his people to the test. And his, his people will do the same. They're both testing, but they're different kinds of testing. The testing from God is an opportunity to get to know him more. It's an opportunity to be drawn to him, to to see his faithfulness in action. It's an opportunity to see his good and kind and fatherly and faithful and perfect character. It's an opportunity for us to maybe be a little nervous. Oh, Lord, oh, this, this is risky. I trust you. And then he pulls through every time. Lord, you pull through every time. I have a greater view of your faithfulness. His testing is meant for good and for our joy and his glory in that circumstance. Our testing is not. Our testing does not come from that place. It comes from a place of unbelief. When we test the Lord, we have a disposition of you're not going to do it. Yeah, why? Why would I trust you? We'll prove it. See, our heart is already in unbelief and that, put, that makes us uh, test God. That's sinful. That's sinful. God tests us for our good. We test Him out of sin. We test Him out of sin and unbelief. Out of unbelief. This is a, this is a heavy text, but just in case we're, we're tempted to, to shrug this off, 
Grumbling, it's just, you know, we all do it. Point number three, there are real dangers in grumbling. The dangers of grumbling. The first thing is, uh, is a heavy one, is not making it home. The danger of grumbling is not making it home. And by home, we, need, we mean God's rest. We read Hebrews earlier, and I already referred to it once. But later, in chapter 4, 1 and 2, uh, we see, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For, they're talking about the generation of Israel here, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So it is not only to hear the good news of God, but it's to believe it. We see that the Israelites heard good news about God too. They saw good news about God. They saw His power. But they had unbelief. It is not only to hear the gospel, but it's to believe it. And, and one more thing, it's, it's to continue believing in it. It's to, it's to persevere in believing in it. Two weeks ago, we saw at the end of Exodus 14, and Exodus 14 31 says that Israel saw the great power of the Lord, the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people, the people, the same people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant and in his servant Moses. So we see that the people of Israel at one point to some degree believed, but they did not persevere in this belief. Their faith waned. And this is a real warning that this, that grumbling is the kind of thing that can get us off track. It's a real warning. And grumbling is, is a serious sin. You see the consequence of, of this generation. It's a serious sin. Again, uh, I guess in any age, but especially now, now, we're so tempted to shrug it off. Grumbling is the most commonly socially acceptable sin. Ugh, Mondays. Ugh. Oh, work again. This weather, it's the worst. Grumbling is socially acceptable. We're all used to it. But it's serious. It's a grievous sin. A second danger of grumbling is that it mars our witness. It mars our witness to the world. Philippians 2.14, Paul tells us, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And notice it's interesting because Israel was supposed to do just this. They were just, God just freed them from slavery. He took them out, crossed the Red Sea. Now go, go represent God. Go, go show his character to the nations. Go be a light among nations. But their grumbling kept them from doing that. They failed at that. And Paul tells the same things to us. Don't grumble so that you can be a witness. Now, if we think about it, we're, we're much like the Israelites. We too see God do awesome things in our lives and the lives of others. And we are quick to then turn and not trust Him. 
We're quick to foster unbelief. But um, light bright, uh, shines brightest in, in darkness. And we feel the heaviness of this text. We all affiliate, associate, we all, we all feel identified in that. I've grumbled. Yes, I do. I do. Is there hope? Is there hope? Point number four is the hope for grumblers. The hope for grumblers. Yeah, there, there was, uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ. Yes, he's, he's the hope for grumblers. When, when he was tempted in the desert, he, he is the one who did not give in. When he was thirsty and hungry, after he passed through the water and then went into the wilderness and was tested, he did not fail. Israel failed. We often fail. It was Christ. He was the one that did not fail in his testing, who actually didn't receive water and bread through his testing, but he was still victorious over it. And he was the one that, after that, went to the cross and died there, carrying on him your grumbling and my grumbling. We can't deny that we've done it, but we look to him. All of our grumbling was, was placed on him. And then he was raised back to life. He was raised back to life to prove victorious over, over our debt of grumbling. It has indeed been paid. Not only that, but he is, he is the greater manna. He is the true bread from heaven. In John 6, Jesus tells us that he is the true bread from heaven. You see, the, the Israelites grumbled because they wanted bread. They wanted to eat, and they wanted to live. They wanted life now. And Jesus says, I am the true bread sent down from heaven, the one who gives eternal life. Christ is the provision of God, the true bread from heaven who gives eternal life, the, the only thing that justifies us when we grumble. To, to think back to earlier is not our, the, the goodness of the desire that's unmet. It's not the difficulty of the circumstance we're going through but it's the righteousness and sacrifice of Christ who did not crumble and paid for it in our place. You know, let, let, if, if you feel convicted or, or shamed or, or down or discouraged, thinking of our own grumbling, thinking of how often we do it, thinking of how guilty we are, don't let that drive you to despair. But instead, look to Christ and, and know that He did not grumble, not once. In fact, in, in 1 Peter, it says that after he was reviled and mocked and, and, and spit on, he did not revile in return. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He is the one that endured the hard circumstance and the unpleasant moments. He, he is the one that probably had the right more than all of us to wish circumstances were different. And yet he endured all of that and paid on our behalf on the cross. So don't let the conviction of grumbling drive you to despair, but let it drive you to Him. To Him. And let it spur you also not to grumble, knowing the goodness and the, and the greatness of the sacrifice that He made for us. And point number five, the medicine for grumblers. The medicine for grumblers. 
These are, these are practical applications. This is not medicine like this is the cure. Christ is the only hope. He is the only ultimate cure. But one would be fear unbelief by drawing near to the Lord and remembering His provision. Fear unbelief by drawing near to the Lord and remembering His provision. Draw near. Draw near to God. In, in yeah, chapter 16, verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. If you're guilty of grumbling, don't run away. Draw near. Come to God. What ways, Jimmy, what ways do I, do I come near to God? He's given us means. Pray. Pray. Remember the man from Mark whose child was, was dying. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He knows. He knows our doubts. He's big enough to handle them. Confess them. Bring them to him. Spend time in his word. Spend time in his word. Not a quick read. But, but, but spend time in it. Find and cling to promises that God makes. That, that, that you can cling to. We read earlier Psalm 84, verses 10 through 12. The Lord withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. That's his word, and it's trustworthy, and it's true, and it's something we can cling to. Even when we have unmet desires, even when the circumstance is difficult, find and cling to promises of God. Spend time in his word. And be with his people. Be with his people. In Hebrews, we find the command... Do not neglect the gathering. And it says, exhort one another. Well, the day is still called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another. Remind each other. Let's remind one another of God's faithfulness, of the ways that he's pulled through in my life and the ways he's proven true in your life. And keep pointing each other. He's faithful. He's faithful. His word is true. Keep trusting. Keep tr- I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Keep trusting. He is true. He is trustworthy. And also remember God's nature and character toward us and also toward the Israelites. Think about it. After they grumbled, He still fed them. He still cared for them. He still guided them. He gave them the cloud and the fire and He protected them. He was tender and kind. Remember His nature and His character. Who is it that we grumble against? It's not against an an ogre or or an enemy. It's against a a loving and kind and merciful God. And remember his provision. Remember his provision. In chapter 16, God gives the command to take some of the manna, put it in a jar, and keep it for the coming generations. He wants them to remember. "Look, Look at my provision. I fed you. I care for you. I gave you life. Remember, remember his provision. Remember Christ is our life every day. He is the greater manna. He is the one that gave us life initially and that continues to sustain us. And be satisfied and remember Christ. If, if you're new or if you haven't heard anything like this before or you're new to Christianity or don't know where to start, you, you can know the provision of God by repentance of sin and faith in, in Jesus Christ and His work that He did. So seeing this, brothers and sisters, let, let us 
Instead of grumbling, let us be content. And let us be satisfied with Christ, the bread of life that truly satisfies. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who indeed took all of our grumbling, took all of our discontentment, took all of our self and paid. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for him. We thank you for what he did. We pray that we would not take grumbling lightly. We pray that you would help us see your good character, love you, be always grateful towards you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.